you'll see an outline there in the, um, in the booklet. And the part of that outline is just a brief introduction to what could be called the prayer book of the Bible. I don't know if you have an Anglican background. It's another denomination of the Christian church. But the Anglican church or other denominations might have a prayer book and you use that prayer book. We, as Presbyterians, don't. Um, not to diss that or, or to talk about that in, in a way that's different. I think it's, it's a helpful book, the prayer book. But the Bible has a prayer book. The Bible has a prayer book. It's the book of Psalms. The Psalms can easily be neglected for us as a church, but we need them so much as a church. There are moments in life, and we have felt this particularly over 2020, 2021, there are moments in life when it's just hard to express how we're feeling with the words we have in our word bag. It can be hard to express our joy, our grief. There are moments when things seem inexpressible and I just don't have the words or I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that out loud to God. The Psalms help us. The Psalms often express those things in words, in ways in which we think, could we dare say that? Could I pray that? And the Psalms help us to cry out in such times with words authored by God himself, penned by a few people. It is the prayer book of the Bible, is the book of Psalms. I was talking to a friend of mine, he's um, from Scotland, and um, when he was growing up in the Prezi Church, he says that uh, kids were given two things, they were walking around with two things, it was a bowl of porridge and the book of Psalms. And, and, and you'll know today, if Gideons are giving out little books, Bibles, you see them in hotels or hospitals, if they're small and they're trying to be compact, uh, what's in them? It's usually New Testament, and what is also there? But the Psalms. The Psalms are five books in of themselves. They're five books of praise and prayer set to music. They're songs praising God for who he is and what he's done. I like to think of them as, it's, it's kind of like um, the top 150 of the Old Testament. Or perhaps the classic hits of the New Testament. The hottest 150 of the Bible. Triple J has their hottest 100. Comes up on Australia Day, I think it is. The Psalms are the hottest 150. And for us, we need these songs. It's interesting, uh, you go to the New Testament, uh, in the New Testament, of the, all the quotes that the New Testament quotes, the Old Testament, 40% are from the Psalms. 23 of 27 New Testament books have quotes of the Psalms. And what was Jesus' last words on the cross? It was a psalm. The compilation of God's word through inspiration are songs of experience. Psalm 1 to Psalm 150 are this experience. And here we see in Psalm 1, particularly today, what it means, I think, for us, not just for 2022, but for our life, what it means to be, have a blessed new year, a blessed life. What it means to be blessed, a blessed person. If you're on social media, this is a thing, isn't it? Hashtag blessed. And it wouldn't matter if you're a person of belief or a person of not belief in Jesus, but that tends to be a trend. 
Hashtag blessed. We all want a blessed life. I don't know anyone that writes, you know what I'm looking for is an unblessed life. Hashtag unblessed. Now we want a blessed life. We want to be happy. In fact, what's interesting is in Matthew's gospel, when Matthew picks up the word blessed or blessed, um, it's the same word for happy. Happy life. Blessed. Blessing. We want this. And there are many books you can go to in bookstores, particularly at Christmas or in the Boxing Day sales, and find books on how to be blessed, how to be happy. But straight off the bat, right at the gate, the psalmist writes in Psalm 1, to be blessed is to live a life that is the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous. Psalm 1 Verse 1, blessed is the, the man or the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. We heard this in the kids' talk. Planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Notice this, this is a picture of the good life, friends. This is what we would want. Australians live for this stuff. We make our plans. We, perhaps if you're a person of faith, we pray our prayers. We ask for the good life. We want the good life. We want life to be prosperous. We have a hard couple of years and we just say, yeah, 2022, that's going to be better. That's going to be the blessed life, the good life. We want that. It's where we find enjoyment, joy. And the psalmist says it's found in a place that we often would think, I wouldn't find it there. Do you notice where he finds it? Verse 2, delighting in the law of the Lord. Well, that kind of throws us a bit, doesn't it? The law of the Lord? You mean I'm going to grab the Ten Commandments and delight in, in law? What am I, a lawyer? But when you read the law of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's a way of describing all of God's word. The law is at times used to talk about the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, or the 613 commands in the Old Testament, but it's also used to describe all of God's word, his spoken, revealing word to us. And the psalmist says, you know what? I delight in hearing it. I need to hear it. And if you're a person who gets to hear it, you meditate on it day and night. This is a person the psalmist is writing who loves to read and reflect on God's word and they're blessed for doing so. When I was growing up, I didn't think I would be a reader. It's a bit funny, I'm a weird person. We're all weird, aren't we? But there were things I would read and the things I thought, oh, I don't want to be a reader for a job. What do you mean, get paper cuts? That's the biggest workplace hazard you got? Hey, we've got to call OH&S, work cover got to come. Yeah, Russ got a paper cut in his study. Yeah, we're going to get them to investigate it. The paper's too sharp. It's too sharp. I need thicker paper. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a tractor driver. And, and, and tractor driving is a noble profession. Right? Wouldn't matter if I was driving for my dad or driving for someone else. I'll be a tractor driver. 
Now, if you're following along technology these days, that job is going out of fashion one day very soon. But I wanted to be a tractor driver. That was going to be my career. Who wants to read? Who needs to read? I'm going to be driving. Needless to say, I was wrong in many ways, but particularly about this, the need to read. In the Reformation period, there's a guy, and his name is William Tyndale. And William Tyndale saw a problem in his day and age. See, in his day and age, people didn't have the freedom to do what we're doing right now. You know, we say, grab that page number in your church Bibles, and we just have this leisurely assumption that you can open a Bible and it can be free to you. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, you don't have one, that church Bible is yours now. But with the assumption that we can open a Bible and just read it. And we can, look, if you, if they even make Bibles small enough, you can take to work with you, you can stick it in your pocket. This one won't work, but this one's good for, for those of us like me who just need some eyes with the, the prints a bit bigger and I can write around my Bible and study it. And there's even study Bibles that references all the way through them. We are not short on Bibles, are we? But in William Tyndale's day and age, there was usually one Bible for the community and it was chained to the pulpit in the church building. Not only that, it probably wasn't in your language. It probably wasn't in English for his day and age. He was in England. It wasn't in English. You had to require someone special and smart enough to read it to you. And even then, they weren't particularly well trained. Lots of priests in the Roman Catholic Church before the Reformation weren't well trained. They were just given a spiel. Just do these magical little things with your hands and God will somehow love you and you'll somehow know that. It was a massive drought in God's word. And William Tyndale said, I am ta- I, like that song, Take My Life, I'm dedicating my life to this one purpose. Here's what he said, actually. Let me read it. 16th century England. In a time and place where the Bible was only the language of the scholars, and it was in Latin, here's what he said. I would to God that even the ploughboy, even the ploughboy, would be able to sing a text of Scripture at his plough beam to pass the time. So even a tractor driver would be able to read the Bible in their own language? Even for tractor drivers like me? Do you see? William Tyndale wanted even tractor drivers, like the the kind of me, the lowest of the low, the, the, the non-readers, that me, he wanted me to be able to read the Bible in my language. He dedicated his life to it. Why? Because that is where you get to delight in God, by hearing his voice in Scripture. William Tyndale and many others got to see that happen and it changed society. People's lives were changed because they were able to read and hear God's word. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Deuteronomy 6 verse 7. You shall teach this diligently to your children. The psalmist talks about reading it and meditating on God's word. And by the way, meditation is not what our world thinks it is. Our world thinks meditation is, is kind of your mind becomes empty. 
That's not what meditation is here. It's not emptying your mind. It's filling it. Friends, our problem is not that we need empty minds. Like the difficulties that we have faced during 2020 and 2021 will not be solved if I can go and find a place to empty my mind. Because my mind never gets empty. It's constantly buzzing with stuff. The conflicts I've just had or the problems I've got, the worries about the future. What I need is something else to fill my mind to push that stuff out. I need to meditate on God's word. If I don't fill my mind with good things, what God is saying for me in my life, if I don't keep hearing that he loves me, he's with me, he's got this, he's sovereign, he's gracious, if I stop hearing that, my mind is going to fill up with everything else. My mind is going to fill up with everything else in life. My worries, my concerns, my conflicts. That's what's going to fill my mind. I don't need an empty mind. I need a full mind full of God's good word. And that's where I can delight. That's where I'll be blessed. Not so the way of the wicked, sadly. We see this in verses 4 to 5. There's a turn in verse 4, you see it? The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. What's chaff? Uh, We're in a regional area, and in Australia, in a regional area, farmers know what chaff is. It's okay if you don't, but here's what chaff is. I mean... Like many words, you can use one word to describe different things. So where I was growing up, there was a chaff. You fed horses and it had nutrients. But there's also the other chaff, the stuff that gets blown out of the back of the header. Right? So when you're harvesting, it's harvest time now and farmers are trying to get it in before the next rain. The, the header, you'll see a machine and it's got its, it's, got its front and it's bringing, in the grain, or the, it's bringing in the whole plant and the grain is threshed out and it goes into the grain bin, that's the valuable bit, right? That's the bit you get money for. But the chaff, the bit that is not as valuable, blown out the back. And God's word is saying, if you're not delighting in him, if you're wicked, your life is like chaff. There is a day coming, the last day. And on the last day, the wicked are going to be blown out the back like chaff. And this makes sense of the word therefore in verse 5, doesn't it? You look at verse 5, it makes total sense now. If you understand chaff, it makes sense of verse 5. Because you always ask the question, what is therefore, therefore? Therefore. The wicked will not stand in the day of judgment. Wheat that's ready for harvest can stand up, generally. Chaff can't stand up. It's been blown out the back. It will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The poet of our day, 
well, there's many poets, but one of the poets of our day, you could say, is Sir Elton John. And Sir Elton John wrote a song about Marilyn Monroe, if you're old enough to know who that is and remember, that ended up uh, reworking for Princess Diana, whom you also might need to be old enough to remember who that is. Same song, different person. But it has a line in it. It says in this song, You lived your life, Marilyn Monroe, or Princess Di, like a candle in the wind. We had carols by candlelight on Christmas Eve at the North's property. It was wonderful. We had candles going there. My son, who's eight, had a candle. I think it's the first time he's done some candle management in his life by himself. And he had some wax fall in his hand. What a really great teaching experience that was for him. He's okay, though, just so you know. What happens to the candle in the wind? Why is Sir Elton John writing that? Because our lives are like that, aren't they? A candle in the wind just doesn't survive. It needs a little cup around it just to protect the flame. What Elton John sings is true. Our lives, we think we're invincible. We thought that before COVID and then you know, we, we thought we could plan our destinies and make our plans and, and do this or that when actually our lives are like a little candle flame in the wind. Gone. The writer of Ecclesiastes uses a word consistently. In our Bibles, it's translated often as vapor. Our lives are but vapor. They're a candle in the wind. They're, they're so easily blown away. And particularly those who don't delight in God, their lives are like chaff. On the last day, when the Lord returns, to judge the living and the dead, the wicked will not stand. I think sometimes we get a little bit queasy talking about that. As a society, even as Christians, like it would be easy for preachers to talk about anything else but that. But that is a reality and we don't talk about it as if it's a light. We talk about it with tears. We talk about it with pleas. Because we have our own family, our own friends, who if they're not delighting in God and his love for them, will perish. What is a wicked person? Our society might hear that phrase and think, that is such antiquated language. To talk about judgment, that is so judgmental. That is antiquated. It does not belong in our society anymore. But do you know, as soon as you say, that's judgmental, what has that statement become? That's a judgment. To, to classify something is a judgment. It is a discernment. Judgment is a discernment. It is saying, this is right and this is wrong. Uh, that's okay. That's not okay. We do it all the time, friends. We constantly live our days, our hours, making judgment calls, making decisions. And all the Bible is saying about the last days, that's God's judgment call. That's his discernment. That's his choice. That if you chose to reject him, to rebel against him, to even ignore him all your life, his discerning judgment is this. You will not stand. 
You will not survive that day. And you can't enjoy him and delight in him forever if you choose not to now. Whatever category we might use, the word wicked, evil, whatever it is, I know the word wicked might sound antiquated today. Look, if you came to our youth group and you had such a great time, right, and then you went home to your grandma and she said, how was youth group? And you said, oh, it was wicked. She might say, what? What is this reforming church? What are they doing at youth group these days? We use words in different ways, but context tells us this. Whatever word we use, wicked, evil, sin, wrong, it is clear and evident, isn't it? Modern society, it is clear and evident there is such a thing as right and there is such a thing as wrong in our world. We have to have that. And we're always, even individually, deciding that. But God says, for those who will not relate to him with love as he even pours out his love, for the wicked will not stand. Which means for us, there's only two ways to live. You see, the righteous judgment of God is in verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's two ways to live. If God made the universe, it's God who gets to decide its dwelling. It's God who gets to decide what is right and wrong. And his definition is more than 613 Old Testament laws. It's more than 10 commandments. It's simply love. It's relationship. Do you love God who loves you or not? And do you love him to relate to him by listening to him at his word or not? It's a simple law of relationships in our world, isn't it? If you have a person in your family or a friend, even just take the friend example. Yeah, that's my friend. Cam, I'm going to take Cam. Cam is my friend. But I'm going to totally ignore him for the rest of my life. Like, he's my friend. And people might say, but Cam's your friend. Yeah, I know. You go to church together. Yeah, we do. But you don't talk to him. No. And worse than that, I've seen Cam at church, Russ, saying, hi, Russ. And you go straight past. And he's your friend. Yeah, he's my friend. But you don't listen to him. That's right. But he's your friend. Yes. Do you see how weird that is? But we do that with God and we think that's okay. People say all the time, oh, I know Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Little baby Jesus at Christmas time. So you like like Jesus. Totally fine with Jesus. You're Christian. Yeah, call me that. If you want to call me a Christian, I guess I'm a Christian because I like Jesus. But you don't listen to him? No. Do you love him? Ah, well, I don't. What do you mean by love? Do you see? There are two ways to live. You either live and walk with Jesus as your Lord, Saviour, your friend, or you don't. It's about relationships. It's how you relate to him. And if you don't, your life is not blessed. In fact, it's the reverse of Psalm 1. Here's Psalm 1 in reverse. 
Take what gives life away from me. Uproot me from the streams of water, for I will not taste it. Let me wither and become chaff. Let me be blown away, driven away from your presence forever. Do you see the contrast? There are two ways to live. Which way are you living right now? How can you be blessed, friends? The world tells you this. This is how you get a happy life. Achieve. Strive. Succeed. List your achievements. Put them on social media for everyone to see how happy you are. And we often Instagram our lives. Nothing wrong with social media, Instagram, but we often we paint a picture that's not quite of the day. It's not quite true. We often present. We have to perform. The world says you've got to be good enough. You've got to be better, and you've got to perform in such a way to please us. But the Bible says that's not where you find a blessed life. You won't find ultimate happiness there. Now you find it by hearing God's word to you, by hearing Him say to you, "You're mine. Walk in my way." Hearing the good news of Jesus is where you find blessing. You see, the Psalms all find their fulfilment in Christ. When you're reading the Bible, when you're reading the Psalms. If you just read the psalm and just go from the psalm to you, you miss a very vital, important step in how to read the Bible. Jesus tells us in Luke 24, he says, the psalms, the prophets and the writings, the law, everything is all about him. And when you look at Psalm 1, here's how you get truly blessed. When you think about who is the blessed man of Psalm 1? Who is the blessed person? Who is the one who delights in God's word most of all? When I don't perfectly do that, and who, who does that? Who is the one who will not actually fear the day of judgment at all? See, it's Jesus, isn't it? Because the wicked will not stay standing in the final judgment, it's Jesus who literally stands in the way of sinners. See, if left up to me, I would be in the group of sinners. I would be chaff. My life, my wrong in my life means I deserve to be in the way of sinners on that day. But do you see Jesus? It's Jesus who actually literally stands in the way of sinners at the cross. It's Jesus who becomes judged as the wicked person on the cross. It's Jesus who on the cross has his own life blown away by the wrath of God at the cross. So then that through Jesus you can now walk in the counsel not of the wicked but of the righteous by delighting in the word made flesh Jesus Christ. For us who belong to Jesus, I think there's a temptation when it comes to a new year. For us, we get particularly excited about reading our Bibles all the way through. That's a good thing to do. 
you'll see very soon, like today's Boxing Day, I guarantee you that in the next few days in social media, there are going to be many, many links. Here's a Bible reading plan. Here's a way to read the Bible. Like it's, just, it's going to be out there. It's all good. Here's the temptation for our hearts. We start well in January, get to February, white-knuckling it through, and then we get to March. Oh, I couldn't do it last year. I can't do it this year. The application of Psalm 1 is not do more Bible reading and you'll be blessed. It may be an outcome, but it's not what it's saying. It's not just delighting, ticking the box of reading, reading, reading lots. No, the application is delight in God at his word. Whatever amount you're reading, read, delight. And don't read because of it's a rule. Read because it is a delightful thing to do. Enjoy him. As a Presbyterian minister, years ago, his name is Robert Murray McShane. If you hear the word McShane, the name McShane, you think Bible reading plan, because he's got a Bible reading plan he made. But here's the thing about McShane. We think that McShane, just Bible reading plan, that's what we think what he's about. But um, Robert Murray McShane wrote to his congregation in 1842, he wrote why he wanted them to read the Bible in the new year. So he wrote this. Um, this was written in December, around at the same time as we're living now, and he wrote this to his congregation. My dear flock... The approach of another year stirs up within me desires for your salvation, for the growth of those who are us and for those who are not saved yet. It has been long in my mind to prepare a scheme of reading scripture. Many people would agree the whole Bible read in a year would be a helpful thing to do. That's what he writes. But then he says this, I'm aware such a plan has many dangers. One, formality. We are such weak creatures that any regular returning to duty is apt to degenerate into a lifeless form. Secondly, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness kills us, doesn't it? Because it says, I don't need the righteousness that is alien to me from God. I just need my own righteousness. In fact, many of us would do well not just to confess how unrighteous we are, but to also confess our self-righteousness. Thirdly, careless reading. He says, few tremble at God's word. Fourthly, it's a heavy yoke to bear. So here's what he says. Here's the blessing. That we read by not having dependence upon self or upon creatures, but we read with dependence upon Jesus and his righteousness. He says, we must be driven to our Bibles and to the mercy seat if we are to stand in that day. What does this mean for us as a church, friends? It means, why not, instead of making a rule, I'm going to read the Bible in this many chapters and have a Bible reading plan that I might not... Why not just make it a healthy habit of replacing one habit with another? For example, the temptation is for us to have those habits that just become us, isn't it? Look, if you were to do a picture of our generation, what would we look like? I think we'd look like, as a portrait, this. I'm aware that my kids grow up seeing this a lot. Yeah, yeah, do what you want. Yeah, yeah, okay, you want to play? Yeah, get on the Xbox, fine. It's such a temptation, isn't it? 
There's nothing wrong inherently with a phone or a device or a screen. You can even have a Bible on it. Praise God. But here's what I'm praying would be more for me in my life and my family and our church, that in those spare moments I might have one of these lying around. I just pick up and just read a few verses. Because I don't need more of the other stuff filling my head. I need to hear God in my head. God in my heart. That's where I'll delight. That's where I'll be blessed. If that means you've got to get a pocket Bible, oh, great. Look, you can have it on your phone, but the phone has this other thing called apps. And they often come up, you read the Bible, ding, ding. The good thing with this one, it doesn't have any apps. But whatever you use, it's not about the, the mode or the medium, but it is about the message. Hearing Christ at his word to you, delighting in him and his love for you, being joined to Jesus at his word and rejoicing. Let's pray. Father, we have found delight in your law, in your instruction, in your word. Because you've shown us Jesus, Jesus the fulfillment, he is the man of Psalm 1. And because he is the man, those of us who recognize we have been sinners, we have been wicked, we've been unrighteous, we get to go and trust in Jesus and delight in him. And so we pray, help us to keep meditating on Psalm 1, even this week. Help us to keep reading about Jesus, to keep growing in Jesus, being planted in his righteousness, not our own, but in his, that we would know that we don't perish because of Christ. Father, we pray for those who live their life like it's chaff, who are withering. Please bring them to your word, your life-giving word, your life-changing word. We ask for opportunities this week that friends and family members who perhaps have been relating to you by ignoring you, that they would, in a moment, listen to you and that you, by your Spirit, would do a powerful, miraculous work. We pray even use us, as wrong and weak as we are, use us to speak about how we cope through life by filling our mind, our heart, with your wonderful word. And so we pray now, as we come to sing, as we come to sing of the King, that we would delight in him, praying in Jesus' name. Amen.